With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here on, well, not quite Christmas Eve, but uh, getting close to it. And uh, before we get into the show this week, I just want to wish you all happy holidays, wherever you may be around the world and however you celebrate during this holiday season. It's always a a great time of year and I'm very much looking forward to the next uh, couple of weeks because uh, not only, like I say, it's Christmas and New Year's, but also I have a couple of weeks vacation coming up and I'm really looking forward to the break. Okay, also another thing before we get into the show this week, I just want to give a, a shout out to, to Gil Menendez in Kenmore, Washington. Hello, neighbor. I'm up in Vancouver, BC, uh, Gil. So I guess uh, we're about 175 miles apart uh, as the crow flies. And in a global community of uh, Formula One fans, uh, 175 miles really isn't uh, all that much. But uh, be that as it may, I just wanted to read out uh, an email that Gil sent in uh, last week after the podcast. Podcast uh, that I did about uh, Dan Gurney and uh, Gil writes in part. Mark, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed your Dan Gurney podcast. It was very comprehensive and really informative for a Dan Gurney fan of over fifty years. I'll stifle the urge to share my Gurney memories, but I will tell you this. My dad was traveling on business when my car and driver Dan Gurney for President bumper sticker arrived. He was bemused, but the bumper sticker had to come off the 56 Bel Air. I was so sad because I had thought just to keep it with my other treasures. So there you go. I thought that was one of the cool things uh, I found when I was doing research for the podcast uh, last week. And uh, I'd never heard that story about Dan Gurney for president. And uh, the the more I've uh, talked to people and had uh, emails and and, and other messages, uh, like the one from Gil, that uh, I'm really starting to get a new appreciation for the the, the popularity that uh, that Gurney had uh, when he was at his peak as as a driver and even for decades thereafter. So that's uh, really cool. And if you just go uh, online and Google Dan Gurney for president, you'll get uh, lots of hits in in your search engine and uh, it's it's pretty cool. So again, thanks for the email, Gil. And uh, let's uh, get on to the show for, for this week. I'd actually planned another uh, completely different episode for this week, but 
somewhat unexpectedly, there, there's been quite a bit of uh, news in uh, going around in the Formula One world this week. So uh, the, the show that I prepared for this week is actually, uh, it's going to be delayed a week. It's uh, nothing time sensitive, but I think you guys will enjoy it nonetheless. So it's locked and loaded for the middle of next week. So if you need some break f- from, uh, well, all the turkey and all the <laughs> the very in, uh, decadent and uh, heavy and rich foods that come with this uh, time of year, uh, look forward to, to drop. I believe I've got it scheduled for the 26th, which is uh, Boxing Day up here in Canada. So uh, a week f- from today. So there is plenty of uh, things to talk about, as always, in, in Formula One. So I do have another bit of a, a special uh, program lined up uh, for then. Anyways, uh, let's uh, take a look at some of the news that's uh, been going around in the past couple of days. And the, the first one comes via ESPN uh, in the UK, and that was from uh, Lawrence Edmondson, the uh, the F1 editor, editor over there. And uh, he had an interesting uh, um uh, article come out a couple of days ago, and uh, it is entitled "Does Mercedes Still Believe in Botas?" And uh, this is quite an interesting one. And uh, if you look at uh, the way that Lawrence just breaks down the the, the season that uh, that Botas uh, had in in twenty seventeen, sorry twenty eighteen. He also makes a, a very good point that uh, that last year was, um, I guess the pressure was off uh, Botas to a certain extent in 2017, what with joining the team rather late uh, by, uh, by by most standards. I mean, we, we've seen over the course of uh, numerous years, and this year was a very good one as well, just how the silly season really kind of plays out in the driver's market at different times during the year, especially during the summer as, uh, as contracts come to uh, an end. And, and this year was uh, quite extraordinary just with the amount of uh, contracts uh, that, that were coming up and, uh, and guys that were becoming available. But uh, Botas, of course, uh, joined uh, about this time uh, two years ago, of course, uh, after Nico Rosberg won the 2016 uh, Formula One World Championship of that nail biter in Abu Dhabi when and, uh, he was able just to get the points he needed and stay ahead of uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, and Max Verstappen to beat Lewis Hamilton that uh, that, that year. He really shocked the world. I mean, there's no other way to uh, describe it. Uh, when he literally just a couple of days later, I mean, the, the engines in the car uh, had barely cooled down after the Grand Prix uh, when Nico had made the uh, the announcement that he was going to retire from the sport effective immediately and was not going to uh, try and defend his world championship in, in, in 2017. Anyways, of course, at that time, uh, Botas uh, was a, a Williams driver. He had been for, for several seasons. And he had some uh, decent, uh, decent years there. And um, so there was quite a bit of a protracted um, situation to, to get that all um, sort of really set up and, and get him over to, to Mercedes. So he really didn't have as much time to prepare as, uh, as a lot of other uh, drivers. I mean, we saw just a couple of weeks ago after the, uh, the end of this uh, latest season, how uh, when they had the postseason test at uh, Abu Dhabi, that uh, all the drivers that were switching you saw uh, Kimi Räikkönen <laughs> driving in a in a Sauber. You saw Charles Leclerc driving a, a Ferrari. You saw Carlos Sainz driving a McLaren. And only a day or two before, they had been uh, driving with uh, their old uh, respective teams, of course. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, when you take all those things into consideration, that the time that uh, Botas had to prepare for the 2017 season, of course, was really condensed and and not quite as um, as long as. Uh, 
as many of his uh, rivals were. So I think that last year, of course, was a, a getting to know each other season uh, for uh, for Mercedes and Valtteri Bottas, and he did quite well. Won, won a couple of races, and uh, he was uh, third in the world championship, and he did very very well. And this year, it's just interesting the way that uh, that Lawrence breaks down um, the, the the season, and of course uh, last year in, in 2017 he points out that uh, Valtteri scored 305 points, three wins, 13 podiums, and this past year he dropped two positions to, to finish fifth in the championship with 247 points and just eight podiums, so quite a substantial uh, decline, and of course there were a couple of moments in the season that were quite frustrating for, for Valtieri, and uh, one was the, um, I mean he was going to win that race in uh, Baku at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix uh, late uh, last spring when he ran over some debris from that uh, Magnuson Gasly um, <laughs> spat incident, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that ruined his race because he picked up a, a puncture in his car. And well, that, <laughs> that was it. And then, of course, he was leading in Sochi at the at the Rus- uh, Russian Grand Prix later in the year, which is a track he's uh, done very well at over the past uh, couple of years and, and won there in 2017. But then, sadly, well, sadly, if your Valtteri Bottas was uh, ordered to move out of the way and uh, let Lewis Hamilton through, because that was really at the time, uh, sort of later in the latter part of the uh, the season, when Lewis was ahead in the in the drivers' championship, and they were really looking to consolidate and really amal- collect as mu- uh, as many points as possible, so Lewis could uh, uh, win that uh, fifth world uh, drivers' championship, which of course, obviously, he did, and uh, well. That was uh, the the perfect situation of having to play the the supporting the number two driver. So uh, tough one to swallow, and uh, of, of course, well, you know, if you're number two at Mercedes, and uh, if uh, if push comes to shove or crunch time, whatever you want to call it, of course, uh, it's always going to go in the in the in favor of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he is your number one guy. I mean, he's delivered a bunch of titles to the team and contributed to uh, uh, five uh, constructors uh, championships, five consecutive constructors championships. Uh, I should mentioned but um, you look at that um, and of course I mean <laughs> it's a slightly different uh, dynamic there of course uh, you have um, uh, Lewis Hamilton I mean one of the greatest drivers of all time not just this uh, generation and we're obviously going to have that uh, discussion at uh, at some point I mean five-time world champion uh, uh, equals uh, the, the same amount of titles that uh, the great Juan Manuel Fangio had and is uh, only uh, a couple of championships behind to equal the greatest of all time Michael Schumacher and not beyond the realm of uh, possibility that uh, that Lewis uh, will equal those uh, seven world championships that uh, that Schumi has or or maybe even more but the point is I mean Lewis is the alpha dog in that in that team and I think it was an interesting slip after the the Hungarian Grand Prix when um, this year when when Toto Wolff had said that uh, that Botas is the ideal wingman or or something like that uh, but he did use the uh, the, the 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 word specific word wingman in in, in that comment and i think that uh, Voltieri was a bit uh, perturbed and a little bit irritated after that and uh, well that's it's just the fact of life uh, obviously when you had uh, two alpha dogs in the team you had uh, a couple of years ago you had Nico Rosberg and uh, and Lewis Hamilton that just really did not go well at time i mean that was uh, oil and water and the two did not really get on uh, very well together and uh, it was a very toxic uh, relationship and and Lewis of course is one of the fastest drivers out there 
Uh, and I, he's obviously, I think, uh, faster than Botas. I, he was obviously faster than Rosberg, although Rosberg was able to, to beat him quite regularly, um, during those, uh, during those years. I mean, Lewis won more races, but from time to time and occasionally, uh, Rosberg would, uh, would be able to win as well. And of course, won his own world championship when he was teammate, uh, of Lewis Hamilton. But when, when, uh, Botas came into the team, it immediately changed that, uh, dynamic and, and, uh, with in a very short amount of time, uh, Hamilton was praising his uh, professionalism and just uh, what what an easy guy he is to get along with, and you could tell that um, that that friction and that that toxic atmosphere that was in the team, or at least between the two drivers, uh, between Rosberg and Hamilton, had uh, had disappeared. But um, this year, of course, very very difficult for for Valtteri Bottas, and they did pick up his his option uh, for for this year, and I think they've given I, I can't remember how it works out which were guaranteed contract years and which were option years. But we do know, of course, going into 2019, that Valtteri does have a contract with uh, with Mercedes, but not necessarily beyond that. And uh, of course, they, they have, um, well, <laughs> Mercedes, they have lots of uh, options, of course. And uh, not only uh, with, with any driver that's on the grid of uh, any of the, the, the nine other teams would probably jump to get in that car into one of the Mercedes. But they also have uh, their own talent pool. And, uh, of course, one name that uh, immediately jumps out is uh, Esteban Ocon, who's been with uh, Force India or Racing Point, whatever they call themselves now, for the past uh, couple of years and had a, a very good debut in um, uh, in 2016 towards the end of the year with, uh, with, with uh, Sauber. And uh, those were, well, <laughs> obviously underpowered cars in, uh, in 2017 uh, with the, the 2016 um, uh, Ferrari engines in them that were just not designed to go into the 2017 cars, which were completely redesigned uh, and and different on a, new, a number of points. But anyways, uh, he went to, to Force India, which is, a, of course, a Mercedes customer team, and uh, was just not able to uh, secure a seat for, for this year. And, uh, it's just, um, unfortunate. Um, I mean, he had his, uh, run-ins with, uh, with Sergio Perez at Force India over the past, uh, two seasons, uh, quite, uh, spectacularly at, uh, at times, but, um, Perez has always been one of those, um, he's, he's their guy at, uh, at Force India, obviously. So, uh, to make a long story short, obviously, uh, w- when the musical chairs in Formula One stopped this year, Ocon was the, the one guy that was left without a seat. And, uh, of course, there were other options in Formula One with other Mercedes customer teams, uh, Williams being uh, an obvious one, but at the end, uh, they decided uh, to go with George Williams and Robert Kubica, and Kubica, of course, was their uh, reserve driver this year. So, Ocon is sitting in the wings and there's obviously that uh, connection being a uh, coming through that Mercedes junior program but he'll be looking over Botas's shoulder literally this year in the in the Mercedes garage because he is their reserve driver for for this uh, for this year and uh, Toto Wolff even hinted at uh, at that uh, situation possibility whatever you want to call it that uh, if things uh, play out in, uh, in in a certain way that uh, he could be an option for for 2020 for uh, Mercedes so 
It really is a make or break uh, season uh, for for Voltaire, and uh, I think he said that it was his hardest year, and it was really uh, he really faded towards the end. I, I mean, he really did. Uh, he, he really faded, like I say, towards the end. He did manage to get a couple of uh, second places at Russia and Japan, and uh, well, <laughs> those were two uh, circuits that uh, Mercedes clearly were in, in a different class uh, than anyone else. Uh, but at the final four years or four uh, races of the year, he finished fifth each time, and. He he just was not able to get anywhere the same sort of performance out of his car uh, that uh, that Lewis Hamilton uh, was getting uh, out of his. So he's uh, he's going to be on the hot seat. Um, let's uh, you know. Let's be quite uh, frank about it, uh, Lewis. Uh, I mean, you're. I mean, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes, you just have to automatically pencil him in for a contender for the world championship uh, next year. And uh, and Botas, of course, I don't want to take anything away from the guy. I mean, uh, Mercedes have won uh, five consecutive constructors championships and two of those have come with uh, Valtteri Botas uh, in the team. So, of course, he has uh, contributed in a, in a big, big way because um, the constructors is something that uh, Mercedes enjoy uh, and, and really try to win each and every year and uh, to them it's a, a very very important uh, thing to uh, championship to win so Botas has been instrumental in helping to to secure that uh, in 27 and 2018 but his own uh, personal ambitions uh, have really taken a hit and uh, you know that's I think the team recognizes that but um, at the end of the day I think that uh, Formula One as uh, as is the case in uh, in any professional sports uh, doesn't really matter if it's soccer or football baseball hockey whatever Whatever it is, you get to the pinnacle of that sport, and the the expectations are just uh, magnified that much more. And it uh, really does become of uh, not what have you done for me, uh, but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> memories are short, and of course, there is a, a lot of money and a lot of prestige at stake. So uh, it will be uh, it'll be quite something to see how how Botas comes back after having uh, the, the the winter away, having that time off just to, to refocus and. Uh, and get back into the car and start preparing to get into winter testing. And uh, of course, when we get to Australia in a couple months at uh, the, the beginning of March, just exactly how competitive uh, he's going to be. And um, well, hopefully for his sake, he uh, he has a, a better season uh, in 2019. So definitely a situation to watch. So uh, another um, interesting uh, piece of news is, um, of course, the the, the post 2020 uh, regulations uh, or the the regulations that they're setting up for for 2021 uh, are still very much uh, going around. And um, well, it came out uh, recently that um, that uh, the engine manufacturers in Formula One will have to share their technology with any new engine manufacturer that is going to to enter the sport uh, in, in a couple of years and this is a uh, very much uh, an initiative uh, put out uh, by Formula One and then uh, the owners uh, Liberty Media to, to really try and entice and bring other uh, engine manufacturers into the sport but they want to give them uh, a helping hand, give them a bit of a boost coming in if they're going to make that commitment and and uh, really commit those resources, the massive amount of uh, money and and, and finance uh, financing that has to go into a Formula One program. And not even as a, as a manufacturer, uh, as a builder, um, but also just uh, even on the, I guess the reduced scale is only a manufacturer, engine manu- manufacturer. But uh, be that as it may, as uh, either 
a, a factory team and an engine, engine manufacturer, the costs are huge, of course. So they, they want to try and make it a little bit uh, easier. And uh, Ross Braun, the sporting director, was saying that um, the, um, the idea to share engine uh, technology is basically uh, a compromise solution because they, they've uh, decided to back down on their plans to overhaul the, the engine regulations in, in 2021. And about a year ago, Formula One had really um, set their sights on making engines cheaper. Uh, they wanted to uh, make them find that parity and find a way to make all the engines more, give them more of an equal footing. They wanted to make them uh, louder. Of course, that's that's been a complaint, I think, ever since the first lap at the Australian Grand Prix as far back as uh, 2014 was, well, what happened uh, to the noise? Um, but uh, basically, um, a, a lot of these uh, plans that, uh, that, that they had or proposing for 2021 were really uh, met with uh, opposition uh, from the the existing manufacturers, so Mercedes, Ferrari, Honda, Renault, and they, they basically said uh, that it would dumb down the sport and uh, would still, it would be almost cost prohibitive uh, to, to redesign the engines at, uh, at this stage uh, in the game. So they've um, they've decided to make uh, changes to fuel restrictions and rev, uh, rev limits and also... Um, it's it's this compromise solution, so they, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Because uh, Total Wolf, uh, team principal at uh, at Mercedes, has uh, has questioned it and, and really wants to know what uh, what the motivation behind um, the behind Formula One's desire to attract uh, more manufacturers uh, to the sport. And uh, and Toto's quite blunt about it. He wanted to know. He said, uh, "Is it greed? Is is basically uh, what what it boiled down to?" And in principle, I'm not really against uh, any uh, more engine manufacturers coming into the sport. Uh, I think it would be good. Uh, but however, I mean, we've seen over the past couple of years how uh, Honda has uh, has struggled, and of course that uh, real epic. Um, schism and split that that they had uh, with uh, McLaren because when it was announced that they were coming back into the sport and they were going to partner again with McLaren a lot of us who have been following the sport for a long time were thinking back to um, an earlier era of the sport when McLaren were dominant in, in Formula 1 which they have been at several points over over history but I'm going back as, uh, to the late 80s and early 1990s when they were powered by uh, Honda engines and uh, you had some iconic cars like the the, the McLaren MP44 and the MP46, uh, driven by the likes of uh, Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna, and I mean they were dominant uh, at that uh, at, at that time. I mean those, I mean the MP44 and the MP46. If you don't know what those cars look like, they're both absolutely beautiful, beautiful Formula One cars, and uh, among a couple of uh, the, my favorites uh, of any era, both of them uh, brilliant. So if you're newer to Formula One, uh, I, I really uh, encourage you to go and, uh, and search online and and look for them because uh, they're both uh, works of art. Um, anyways, uh, sorry, I'm digressing and getting away a little bit from the uh, from the, uh, the original point there. And um, yeah, so like I say, I'm not exactly uh, against that, but I think that the, the, the big concern is um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Total Wolf, uh, he, he said that, well, why not stick to um, 
more more the, the current pool of uh, of engine manufacturers who are committed to the sport. They've uh, put in the time and the money. They've got it all figured out. And he actually makes a good point that uh, the the longer that uh, the engine. Um, regulations are maintained and you have the the same pool of engine manufacturers in there that the gap actually decreases uh, between that and and we've seen that i mean mercedes they spent a lot of time and a lot of money preparing for the hybrid uh, hybrid uh, turbo v6 era which uh, started back in 2014 and they've been absolutely dominant but over the past couple of years we've seen ferrari close that gap and of course in uh, the the past two seasons uh, we we've seen that uh, ferrari's been a regular regular challenger to Mercedes and uh well if things had turned out uh, different for Sebastian Vettel this year he could have been the five-time world champion instead of uh Lewis Hamilton of course uh, that's uh you know hindsight is all 2020 and all that but the uh, the, the possibility definitely was there and uh, you have to think that considering the way that Ferrari has been on the ascendancy in the past couple of years that that uh, going into 2019 in a couple of months that uh, that they will continue to do so and uh hopefully we'll see more more scraps and more more battles between ferrari and and mercedes on the track but also we've seen uh you know renault in the in the sport again over the past uh, several years and uh, you know also not as just uh supplying engines but also as a as a manufacturer and they've uh, committed to this long-term uh project in the sport to get back uh, to the lead to get back to the top uh, where they were and i mean of course uh fernando alonso sadly now retired from formula one was a, a double world champion uh world champion driving uh driving a Renault, and then of course honda and uh honda's uh issues with uh <laughs> with mclaren are well known and uh the, the split that cost uh, mclaren something like a hundred million dollars at the end of last year to split with honda uh but uh, a, a lot of uh people in formula one and i've seen several interviews with uh total wolf in in recent weeks and months and he's uh constantly remarked about how interested he is to see where Honda is uh, for next year. And of course, uh, Red Bull will have uh, Honda power in, in both of their teams, in, in, in the, the Red Bull racing and also in Toro Rosso. And that was, um, <laughs> I don't, obviously it wasn't a conflict of interest, but uh, I, I think it was an ideal situation for uh, Red Bull, just the, the way that it really played out last year try, with uh, Formula One trying to keep Honda in the sport. Uh, they gave up or, or Toro Rosso gave up their Renault engines, got the Hondas, and then, uh, well, I mean, they've been having a bit of a spat, Renault and uh, Red Bull racing over the past couple of years, because they are a team that really have struggled a little bit to, to be able to deliver in the in the hybrid era compared to the the normally aspirated engines that uh, that came before and uh, of course prior to 2014 they won what was it four championships in a row with uh, with Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel so they were just not able to make that uh, transition and, and deliver in the same way with uh, with the hybrid engines as they were with the the, the normally aspirated engines uh, so it's uh, for for Red Bull to be able to compare them one on one was actually kind of a a fascinating situation but just to sort of wrap up this uh, this thought here that uh, these these four engine manufacturers that are in formula one i could see uh, there, there would be some reluctancy and 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 some hesitance to really 
have to divulge that uh, that information that they've learned. And uh, of course, it, it's attractive if you're a new um, uh, manufacturer coming into the sport. But I think, um, you know, if you're Mercedes or Ferrari or Renault or Honda, I think the question would be as well, how much do we have to divulge? I mean, obviously, a lot of it is their own special sauce, if you want to call it that, their own secret ingredients and, and technology and things that make their engines uh, their own. And uh, of course, the concepts and a a lot of the basics and the regulations uh, uh, the, that are out there provide the, the the framework of the way that the engine is designed and built. But those uh, th- there is of course latitude for uh, and ways to Im- improve upon that and find their own uh, performance and power in that. And I think that uh, that would be a, a point that could be quite. Um, quite prickly if you're having to to share that with uh, say Porsche who was a, may may want to come back into the sport or Ford or whoever it might be and uh, i could imagine that uh it, it's good on one hand but maybe not quite so good uh, on the other depending on who you are. <laughs> now, moving along, uh, Mercedes said that they are focusing on what they're calling mindfulness to stay on top of uh, the Formula One pecking order. And, uh, well, I think that uh, just goes to show that um, when you are at the top, it's uh, just uh, in the details. I mean, everybody is uh, very, very good in what they do in Formula One. And, of course, obviously, uh, big budgets and, uh, and money have a lot to do with it. But I think a lot of it is also how you spend that money and how you apply that and how you really it's in the details of course i think is uh, the the best way and um uh, total wolf is saying that uh, that uh, that there's never really been complacency within uh, mercedes because the the group that they have involved in this formula 1 project is is very motivated they have objectives that they make and they're all passionate about it and they all have a lot of energy for what they do and you can see that i mean when you see how the, the the joy and the excitement uh, at, at the end of the year when when they've had one of their drivers win a driver's championship or they've uh, won another constructor's championship, I mean, they're very, very excited and very, very happy about it. Uh, but uh, his concern is just uh, looking at uh, the, the, the bigger picture and keeping this group of people uh, functioning and, and, and working at that very high level and uh, the, the long hours and, and everything that goes into it because... Uh, it's a lot of work. So he said that they've been looking at things like nutrition, at sleep, medical support, at sports, giving off extra days, uh, days off and sending people home if they're not in uh, in a good frame of mind, looking at psychologists and, and mindfulness, what he calls mindfulness of the team to, to really keep going and, and uh, keep this, this run that they have uh, together. So uh, amazing. But I, I mean, there, there must be a lot of pressure if you are regarding Regardless if you're at the top, if you're Wolf or Hamilton or Botas or one of the mechanics or the engineers or the strategists for, for the team or somebody that's working in the in the factory making the widgets that go onto the car or the, the design on the car. I mean, what they've done and the way that they've dominated over the past uh, couple of years is uh, absolutely amazing. But uh, we've seen that. Uh, I mean, they're just the latest. I mean, we've seen that uh, more recently with uh, with uh, Red Bull in the, in the previous formula. We've seen it with Ferrari. We've seen it with Williams. We've seen it with McLaren. Claren, I mean, go back through any era of uh, Formula One, and there's always been one team that's been the team uh, to beat and and stay 
uh, or keep out front of everyone else and really be the leader of the uh, of the pack. Now, a little bit of uh, another uh, Mercedes uh, story that uh, that made the news this uh, week and was not necessarily for the right things. And uh, Lewis Hamilton was uh, said something that was taken. Um, well, it offended uh, quite a lot of people, and uh, I'm not sure if this was a bit of a slip or just a, a bit of a misstatement. I didn't see it myself uh, being here in in North America, but um, Lewis was uh, a guest. He was speaking on uh, national television in the UK on uh, the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, and uh, he made uh, a comment. He was talking about his hometown of Stevenage, and uh, he said, quote, it was really a dream for us all as a family to do something different, to kind of, for us, to get out of the slums. Well, that's what we would say. It was not the slums, but just come out from somewhere and uh, and do something. And I mean, he did come from obviously a, a family that was not maybe uh, the most privileged. I mean, his uh, father was very hardworking, worked a couple of jobs, if I can remember. I think he was a bricklayer or something like that. But they really had this passion for carding and everything. And I mean, he's, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, they worked really hard to, to get where they're at. And I mean, um, <laughs> it's difficult and uh, racing is a, a very uh, difficult thing, but uh, not the the most. Uh, I'd say the, the the best thing to say about uh, your hometown. And uh, Lewis was obviously uh, he was quite um, quite quick to to backpack or back backtrack on that and uh, and apologize for it. But definitely not a good look for you, Lewis. So <laughs> move move ahead from that one and and careful what uh, what what you say in the in the future. Uh, another one, Michael Schumacher, the seven-time world champion, the, the the Ferrari legend, the Benetton legend. I mean, he won two championships with uh, with Benetton. Is set to turn fifty in a in a couple of weeks. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, kind of puts the things uh, a lot of uh, in, in a lot of perspective. But anyways, uh, Schumacher, of course, uh, was injured. Sadly, suffered that brain injury, and in, uh, well, it's been almost uh, five years ago when uh, he had an accident, uh, hit his head on a rock, and we haven't really seen. Uh, anything uh, ever since, but uh, there are different uh, stories and reports out there as to his health. But uh, his uh, nature was always a, as a as a very private person, and I think uh, I, th- I I would not have been surprised when he was done that uh, and walked away from the sport for good. That he would have uh, been very very private, and we would have only seen him uh, occasionally. But his condition has been very guarded over the past uh, several years, uh, most uh, notably by his uh, wife. But anyways, uh, as I said Michael won five of his seven titles with uh, with uh, with Ferrari between 2000 and 2004 and he's the, the most uh, successful Formula One driver of all time and um, to to honor that and uh, and and to uh, uh, yeah to honor him for that and uh, and really pay homage to what he did in Formula One Ferrari has uh, sped up a uh, set up a special exp- exhibition at uh, their museum in uh, Maranello and it's called uh, the Michael 50 uh, exhibition and uh, it's created and, and curated in support of his uh, with the support of his family via the Keep Fighting Foundation that was uh, set up after Michael had his uh, accident uh, several years ago so um, you know if you're able to go and check that out I, I'd be extremely jealous I mean that would be quite the collection uh, to, to, to check out anyways uh, and Another story that uh, involving a Formula One team is McLaren has actually entered the world of uh, professional cycling. With, uh, cycling. 
not professional psychics. That's uh, <laughs> something completely different. Anyways, uh, they are entering professional cycling with uh, Bahrain Merida, and uh, they will uh, apply their racing know-how to the cycling team, which uh, actually has um, the, the 2014 uh, Tour de France winner, Vincenzo Nibali, among the, uh, the, the the riders. And uh, both the, the, the racing uh, team, uh, McLaren, is uh, owned uh, by Bahrainis, as, uh, of course, the the cycling team is. And um, the, the, the project, the cycling project, that is, will be run through the McLaren Applied Technologies uh, branch of the, uh, the, the the company. And, um, well, it's all part of the, the McLaren group uh, conglomerate and uh, works in a numerous uh, different uh, industries. And uh, previously, the Applied Technology uh, division worked on uh, other cycling projects in the, in the past, uh, most notably with Team GB before the 2012 London uh, Olympics. And they've also worked with uh, Bicycle Manufacturers Specialized. So that's uh, kind of a cool uh, bit of news. So uh, that'll be uh, interesting to, to check out and, and see what they do. And... Well, let's kind of jump back. Uh, we keep kind of jumping all over the place, but there is a bit of a, 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 I guess a bit of a Renault thread here because we're going kind of, they kind of keep coming in and out of the picture here. But anyways, um, Christian Horner, the team principal at uh, at Red Bull Racing said that he believes that Renault let their own staff down. And uh, well, the, uh, the the bad blood and the bad feelings between uh, Horner and Red Bull and and Ren- Renault are, are are well known and uh, surreal. Abitable has uh, said over the years that uh, at Renault they've just uh, they basically uh, had tuned uh, Horner out a couple of years ago. But the the words and the barbs are still traded uh, occasionally in the media. And uh, this week Horner said that uh, he believes that Renault let its own staff down through uh, basically what he says a lack of commitment to, to the Formula One program from the company's uh, top manager, but, uh, or management. And, uh, well, it wasn't all negative comments uh, from Horner, and he did say that he was going to give them credit because in Mexico they were provided a very powerful and competitive engine, uh, which we saw uh, Max Verstappen obviously win that race, and uh, Ricardo, his uh, teammate, former teammate, uh, uh, clinched uh, the, the pole position, just uh, snuck it out of the hands of uh, Verstappen at the end of qualifying there. And uh, they also had um, an engine that was capable of winning in in Austria and China. And of course, uh, uh, Ricardo won a um, couple of races this year, as did uh, Max Verstappen. So there there were was potential there, but he uh, did uh, feel as though that uh, that uh, their lack of commitment and to development and reliability of the engine is uh, where the uh, the he believes Renault was let let themselves down. So <laughs> he's not letting it go. Horner uh, still has some things uh, to say. But on on the other side of the uh, the the Formula One paddock, uh, McLaren says that uh, that Renault's found a lot of what they're calling a lot of kilowatts uh, on the dyno as uh, they they test and they prepare and develop uh, the engine uh, for for 2019. And uh, at least uh, McLaren CEO Zach Brown has uh, said that uh, earlier this week that uh, he believes that there's a, a lot of uh, optimism coming about or coming out of uh, Renault about the the potential of uh, progress uh, for for next year and um well obviously this year was uh 
was not the best for, for McLaren. Uh, they, they were nowhere really close to competing with the, the, the Renault factory team. And, um, it, uh, it really didn't look like there was a, a big improvement, uh, compared to, um, to, 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 well, previous years. Although the engine was uh, a little bit uh, more reliable than the Honda engine, but I think it was really highlighted that, uh, the McLaren, the MCL 33, which they fielded this year was just not really the, um, the car. It, it just, wasn't as good as they um, they were espousing it to be or really believed it to, to be them uh, to, that they believed it to be anyhow um the uh, the McLaren's chairman who uh, was in the, 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 the news earlier this week, and that's uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Essa al-Khalifa said uh, he believes, and he, he's quite adamant and firm about this, that there are no regrets about uh, the, 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 the split that they had with Honda, which uh, cost them as much, uh, up to $100 million. Uh, well, in part because um, the engines that they were getting from Honda were free, and uh, plus they were getting financial backing, and then they have to now pay for uh, Renault customer engines. But uh, McLaren Laren is um, at least positive um, from what they've been hearing from Renault that uh, that that progress is being made on the engine for next year, and they've been doing it for several years now. And uh, you, you would uh, expect that over that time that the the, the development is going to be there, and the, uh, the the car and the engine is going to develop. So uh, another situation to watch uh, for next year and. I know it doesn't seem like a long, uh, it still seems like a long time until March, until the, the, the season starts. But when you think that uh, it's almost basically been a month since the 2018 season ended, uh, it's not really all that far away. And I'm not going to be one to, to wish time away, even uh, for, <laughs> for Formula One. Uh, but uh, that that's okay. Uh, we always enjoy it when it comes back, but uh, I'm going to enjoy the off season as well in the, in the meantime. And just a, a couple of uh, final uh, pieces to, to really uh, sort of uh, start wrapping it up here. Uh, Danny Ricardo said that uh, this was the hardest year that he's had, or mentally that is, in, in Formula One, uh, where of course he won two out of the, the, the six uh, races at the beginning and then struggled for the last uh, 15 uh, races and uh, where he was plagued by poor reliability, which was mainly from, from the, the, the Renault engine and, um, well... <laughs> Needless to say, he was, uh, I think, relieved to, to get out of there uh, by the time it was uh, all said and done. But uh, just talk about uh, th- you know that uh, move of Daniel Ricciardo to go to, to Renault rather than uh, stay with uh, Red Bull for another uh, couple of years was uh, that that one really surprised me. The more that I think about it and kind of go back to when that announcement was made, it was uh, really kind of shocking because um, that was back in the the summer break, and uh, not only was Formula One on vacation but I was also enjoying my summer vacation. I remember uh, back at the Hungarian Grand Prix, which is... uh typically been that final race before the summer break for the past uh, number of years and uh, the, all the news coming out at that uh, that time was uh, it was basically a, a done deal that uh, Ricardo was going to re-up with, uh, with Red Bull and stay there for a couple more years and uh, all they really needed to do was work on some of the finer details you know dot the I's and cross all the T's uh, as it were and then a couple of days later <laughs> in a bit of a an interesting almost a, an understated sort of way Ricardo made an announcement via Twitter. I think it was a, a short video announcing that he was going to go to, to Renault for, for next year. I mean, it's a bold move, but uh, I can understand uh, maybe why uh, he, he would want to uh, to move on. Um, of course, uh, 
there, there is the question about uh, the switch from Renault to Honda for next year. But also, I mean, he's... Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's uh, you know second fiddle to, uh, to to Max Verstappen, but I think it's very much a one A and a one B. And I think uh, Ricardo, being older and having been there for longer, is uh, maybe felt deep down that uh, or, or realizes deep down that uh, that that Max is the guy, even though you know he's uh, he's much younger than Ricardo. But uh, I mean, we know how good Max Verstappen is. We know that the, the potential that he has, and that uh, that most likely at some point in the future, he will have a very good opportunity opportunity to become a Formula One world champion. I mean, obviously nothing's ever set in stone, but uh, it certainly looks like he has the attributes of a, of a guy that could win a championship uh, given the right uh, the right car and the right circumstances. And maybe uh, Ricardo realizes that, that, that the team is really being built around uh, Verstappen for, for the long term. I also wasn't really too surprised in the end when I kind of thought about it as well that uh, during all the um, all the drama that they were having with the, uh, with the Renault engine at different times and when it was spectacularly let them down say over the past year or so that it always seemed to be either Christian Horner or even uh, Max Verstappen. I think it was, was it back in Hungary? He had a mechanic or engine problem and retired from the race and uh, dropped a bo- bunch of F-bombs on uh, on the race radio, which of course made in the broadcast, which, uh, you know, uh, is, um, well, it'd be insulting if you're Renault and you hear one of your customers uh, really, you know, calling your, your engine a piece of expletive, expletive, censored, you know, fill in the blanks. I mean, it's not all that hard to figure out what uh, Verstappen might have said, but but uh, Ricardo never really, he didn't say anything like that as far as I can remember. I mean, I think he expressed uh, frustrations at times that the that the engine wasn't as reliable or uh, they, they weren't uh, producing as much power compared to some of the other, uh, the engine suppliers out there. So uh, his uh, criticisms were due more to, um, uh, you know, I, th- I thought uh, they were more uh precise, I guess you could call it, or, or focused and, uh, and constructive, uh, concert and constrict, uh, consider, gosh, long day <laughs> criticism compared to, uh, being uh, downright, uh, offensive, uh, and insulting. So he never really burned those bridges, but it was a tough year for him, uh, in 2018. And no doubt he is looking forward to, uh, getting started with Renault and, uh, and getting into that, uh, that new car for, uh, for next year. Also, just uh, one other thing, um, uh, Ross Braun, the F1 sporting director, believes that uh, that uh, Charles Leclerc won't be as accommodating as Kimi Raikkonen at, uh, at Ferrari, even though I think uh, we saw as uh, Sebastian Vettel struggled down the stretch this year and uh, had a lot of his uh, problems uh, on the track and with his, uh, you know, just staying out of trouble. We saw a bit of a renaissance f- from uh, Raikkonen. Of course, he ended up winning the, the U.S. Grand Prix at Austin a couple of months ago, which was his first win since 2013 if I remember correctly. And of course, that was uh, quite a, a popular one. And now he's going back uh, to where it all started in Formula One with uh, with Sauber, where he started his uh, his career um, a very long time ago now, it, uh, it seems. And uh, Sauber has uh, really um, improved a lot over the past, uh, you know, especially two years, but uh, even the, the, the relatively short time of, uh, of 20, uh, 2018, he'll be partnered by other Ferrari driver, Anto- uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, and uh but uh well i mean <laughs> there's that ferrari quest or connection there and uh, you you had charles leclerc going from sauber to ferrari and he's going to partner sebastian vettel there 
And I really think that's what that team needs is that uh, either um, I think that's uh, the the real big question is uh, what was Raikkonen just that little bit slower than uh, Vettel and just wasn't able to push him or did he just really accept his role within the team as a, than the number two and just purposely uh, maybe not push as hard as he was capable of um, uh, over the past uh, couple of seasons. But um, Charles Leclerc obviously did some amazing things in that uh, Sauber this year. And now he'll be uh, given uh, the, the keys to one of the best cars in Formula One for, for next year. And uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, the uh, the dynamic and uh, b- between Sebastian Vettel and and, uh, and and Charles Leclerc next year, and and really how that's going to play out on the track. I think that uh, that uh, Vettel's going to have his hands full. To to be quite honest, I mean, if you go back to his final year at Red Bull in 2014, uh, he spent that one year together with Danny Ricardo, and actually. Um, he was not able to, um, he, he wasn't able to outperform Ricardo that year and uh, came out uh, second best in that pairing. So wh- what does 2019 hold for Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc? Well, stay tuned. We'll wait and see. And then finally this week, uh, the L- mayor of London uh, believes that an F1 race should still be possible. Mr. Sadiq Khan has uh, urged his staff at the city to uh, look at um, uh, targeting a Grand Prix in in the city. And, uh, well, London, obviously one of the most famous uh, cities, uh, metropolitan worlds or cities in the entire world, uh, would be a, an ideal place. I mean, uh, they've uh, been looking at hosting i mean they they host world-class events there all the time uh not just uh sporting but cultural all sorts of different things so i mean you could uh, imagine that uh that london would be a, a, an outstanding place to have uh, a race the one thing is um i've honestly guys i've never been a real big fan of uh of road circuits although i have to admit i've been uh, you know quite pleasantly surprised with uh with uh with baku as a fairly decent um, track for a temporary for a, for a city track. Singapore has its uh, has its own charms. Monaco is Monaco and can be um, can be dramatic, but it can also be extremely boring, like we saw this year. So, uh, Formula One is trying to push for more street circuits. Of course, we got um, uh, Hanoi and Vietnam coming uh, down the chutes, and I think it's in 2020, so just a, a year away. And that's uh, also a street circuit. But the uh, the concept drawings and the designs that came out uh, a couple of months ago certainly look uh, very, very interesting. So, it would uh, be great to, to see the uh, the cars of Formula One racing around the the, the streets of uh, London. So, who knows? With the, uh, the the Miami Grand Prix thing kind of uh, dead in the water, uh, perhaps uh, London is going to step in instead and uh, and get a race there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not uh, the British Grand Prix moves to London and they still have a, a race at Silverstone because that uh, even though that's been a bit of a, an ongoing saga for for some time now. Uh, to keep uh, the the British Grand Prix there, and of, of course, it is one of the most iconic race tracks in uh, the entire. Uh, well, not just in, in Formula One, but in motor uh, motor racing in general. It uh, it'll be fascinating to see how that uh, shakes out, or if they just uh, keep one race in in Britain uh, over the years and uh, just move it to the streets of London rather than uh, than around the infamous um, <laughs> World War II uh, facility that uh, you know come racetrack that is silver. Stone. So uh, another one uh, definitely worth watching. 
Anyways, uh, this went a lot longer than I had originally expected. Uh, like I say, there was uh, plenty of news to talk about. And, you know, we got over three quarters of an hour just uh, talking about the, the things that we had. And uh, there were still some uh, other items out there. But uh, we will save that uh, for another day. Anyways, that is it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch, send me an email, scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. Tweet me at scuderiaf1pod. And that's a wrap. Happy holidays. And uh, we'll We'll catch you again this time next week. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?